The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I am delighted to be joined by The Spectator's Washington editor, Amber Athey, and we are going to be talking about America's women's soccer team, who, uh, as many listeners will know, crashed out of the World Cup uh, this weekend on Sunday morning after losing on penalties to Sweden. Um, and there was quite a bit of uh, schadenfreude about their defeat because uh, they were the heavy favourites. And I think it's fair to say, Amber, they've made themselves quite unpopular in recent months with a lot of people um, in America and around the world for being quite complacent, quite arrogant, for getting involved in politics a bit too much, perhaps. And they had this, there was an advertising campaign, it was not really their fault, but they're being blamed for it, that, that showed sort of other teams sort of trying to think of ways in which they can beat the US women's football team. And then the women's football team was saying, yeah, good luck with that sort of thing. Uh, t- tell us a bit about uh, the, the women's team. I know you're not a great soccer fan, are you? No, but I actually do watch the Women's World Cup. And what's interesting about the U.S. women's soccer team is that I think the United States is one of the few countries around the world where the women's team is more popular than the men's. And it's because the women have enjoyed this really great success in the World Cup over the past 10 to 15 years, um, starting with that really um, almost top 10 sports moment of Brandy Chastain ripping off her shirt after she scored a winning uh, penalty kick in the Olympics back in 1999. And then um, the women's team then winning back-to-back World Cups. They were going for their their third in a row this tournament. And um, I think a lot of people have started to point out that one of the reasons they've been so good is maybe because women's soccer in the U.S. just had kind of a head start on a lot of these other teams and these other teams are starting to catch up to them and they have gotten a bit complacent. A lot of people have also pointed out that a lot of the players don't really seem to be very pro-American. There's been kneeling for the national anthem, failing to put their hands on their hearts during the anthem or otherwise just looking sort of bored or not interested in um, trying to be patriotic when they're representing the team. Um, so all of those things combined, I think, have led to led people to just feel like the team doesn't really represent them anymore. They are not really proud to have these women representing the country because the women aren't proud to represent the country. And so no one was really all that upset when they ended up having their earliest loss in the World Cup in the history of the team. Well, and I think um, England women's football fans were, were pleased too because... Um, now the chances of England winning the World Cup have increased quite substantially with America going out. Um, yeah, and I think there was a little bit of uh, of bitterness over one of Alex Morgan's celebrations during the last go-around when she 
um, pretended to sip a cup of tea after she scored a goal against England. A lot of the hatred, I don't think it's uh, too strong to call it hatred, that is being directed towards the American women's soccer team uh, has focused on uh, this figure, Megan Rapinoe, who is uh, the, in many ways the face of, of the US women's team. Um, and she's got herself involved in quite a lot of political things, quite a lot of culture wars issues. And there was a, a lot of delight, I'd say bordering on cruel delight, uh, the, the fact she missed a penalty um, and then laughed at it. And people were cross that she laughed at herself for missing a penalty. I, I thought that was a bit silly to get cross. A fair enough reaction. Um, but why do people feel so strongly about her in particular? I think people draw a lot of the politicization of women's soccer in general back to Megan Rapinoe. She was a team captain for a number of years. This time around, I think there's an argument to be made that she shouldn't have been given a penalty kick at all and probably shouldn't have been playing. She was not meant to start on the team this time around. Um, She's retiring after this World Cup and um, basically just isn't as, uh, as stellar as she used to be. She's kind of reached the end of her prime. Um, but a lot of people feel like she was kind of thrown in just because of what she represents for women's soccer. And as you said, she's been very outspoken politically. She was one of the main drivers of the fight for so-called equal pay on behalf of the women's team. And their lawsuits to that fact have revealed a lot of details that suggest that there was not some um, malicious intent on behalf of the U.S. Soccer Federation to pay the women less than the men. It was really the result of a contract negotiation that the women agreed to. And she also has been speaking out about how she has no problem with biological men playing in women's sports, which kind of feels like she's pulling the ladder up behind her, right? Because she never had to compete against men when she was playing for the women's team. And yet she wants the women who come up behind her to have to do that and face a a competitive disadvantage. And she's also just had this really robust arrogance, um, more so than any other player on the team. After she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Joe Biden and um, was celebrating in a parade with the rest of the team around D.C., she held up this trophy and was talking about how she deserved it. Um, she, She kept saying, I deserve this. I deserve this very proudly into the camera, which I think a lot of people feel it's kind of an odd way to um, express gratitude. <laughs> um, and as I write in, in my latest piece um, for this, the Spectator's World Edition, she had a kind of a troubled family life growing up. She was pretty solidly middle class, um, and her brother, her older, older brother, struggled with opioid addiction and was in and out of prison. And her sister, who she played soccer with for basically her entire life, um, before reaching the professional pinnacle that Megan did, suffered quite a few injuries and also got addicted to um, prescription opioids. And so when you look at that background and the success that she's achieved, I think it really rubs people the wrong way that she's not more grateful that she made it out, that she doesn't really talk about um the you know the tough times that she had to go through to get to where she is it's instead just this constant boasting and bragging and uh, being really quite rude about the success that she's achieved she would probably put it down to uh sort of homophobia among the masses because she is Mm. a she's a, a lesbian who's very outspoken on lgbt issues 
Yeah, that's right. And um, I, I don't know where that comes from, that sort of aggrieved victimhood status on that point. If anything, I could see her talking about, again, the background of her family life and and how that maybe propelled her to work harder. But there's been no evidence that anyone in soccer, uh, in the U.S. at least, has ever suffered from homophobia. Um, The idea that she was elevated to team captain and um, had tons of starting time as a forward and was given all of these, these penalty kick opportunities even after she was past her prime, uh, kind of negates the idea that people are being homophobic towards her. And it it just doesn't make any sense. There's no evidence of it. Um, I mean, she's welcome to dye her hair as many colors as she wants. And it's just bizarre. Let's focus a little bit on that equal pay issue, because... um... As you as you pointed out at the beginning, I mean the, the the women's soccer team in America, the national soccer team in America, is uh, a bigger phenomenon. It's a it's a it's more popular than the men's soccer team, um, and that was made as a point in favour of women having at least equal pay, if not possibly more pay than the men. Um, and yet, as you pointed out in your peaceful spectators world edition, um, it's just not really uh, a fair comparison or fair contrast between the two because the men's world cup um generates vastly more money than the women's world cup and therefore the share that is given out to the teams that play is is bigger yeah exactly there's actually two different ways that the women's team gets paid and one is through their normal contract agreement with the u.s soccer federation and that's actually separate from the world cup entirely And through that pay structure, the women's team negotiated a contract with the U.S. Soccer Federation that they would be paid a guaranteed salary every single year, regardless of how often they won. And the men's team, alternatively, wanted a bigger winning bonus and a lower base salary. And it's kind of funny to see the difference between men and women's negotiating tactics. Women tend to be more risk averse than men. So it kind of um, is a a little funny irony to their argument about equal pay. But naturally, um, if you have a a higher base salary and fewer bonuses, you're probably going to end up with a little bit less if both teams end up winning quite a few games. Um, So that's pretty much the main driver of the disparity in money that comes just from the U.S. Soccer Federation. But then you also have to contend with FIFA. And FIFA is the governing body of the World Cup. They're the ones who decide the collective earnings for the women's versus the men's tournament. They're the ones that decide what the purse is going to be, so to speak, um, to use uh, to use golf terms. And the FIFA World Cup, again, it's a uniquely U.S. phenomenon that the women's team is more popular than the men. So the Uh, Men's World Cup generates a ton more revenue than the Women's World Cup. So there's simply a bigger pool of money that's available to the winning men's teams as opposed to the winning women's teams. So even if the U.S. women's team were able to negotiate a 50% share of, uh, you know, the winnings from from the FIFA World Cup and the men's team had the exact same share, 50%, even if the men's team only finished in the top eight and the women won the tournament, the men would still probably make more money just because they're get, they're gathering from a bigger pool. So they would have to basically change the revenue structure of, of the entire uh, FIFA organization 
in order to make any fair point about um, equal pay here. And tell me a little bit about uh, just the way in which soccer is perceived in America, because it it is growing in popularity. Um, uh, There's a lot of interest in the Premier League in America. There's a lot of interest in football globally, and and the American League is increasing in popularity. But I think I'm right in saying uh, that it doesn't have mass working class appeal as a sport in the way that baseball, American football and basketball do. Um, presumably because it's not seen as, a, as, a, as an American sport by a lot of Americans. Yeah, I think that's right. There's sort of a running joke among working class Americans that soccer is a commie sport and and anyone who watches it is a commie. And um, that attitude is definitely very pervasive. I do actually think that the the women's team deserves some credit for helping to popularize popularize soccer in the United States. I think um, the success in the World Cup is definitely one of the reasons why these other leagues have become more popular. And also, I think if you look at the professional league in the United States, it's probably not as high of quality of play as the leagues in Europe, um, at least from what I've seen. And people already have so many loyalties with the NBA, the NHL, the MLB, and the NFL that trying to add a soccer team on top of that is quite a lot of work for casual sports fans to keep up with. So yeah, it's it's not it's gaining ground, but it's it's definitely not um, an American phenomenon at all. Do you think the uh, the commie tag with uh, football or soccer? comes from the fact that uh, it's so popular in Latin America and that Americans associate it, perhaps disparagingly, perhaps unfairly, with Latin America and Latin American politics and so on. And it's not as authentically American as other sports. It's partially that, but it's also a chip on our shoulder about the fact that we obviously declared independence from uh, from from the Brits, and um, and soccer is so popular in England that um, it's sort of like a way to continue to dig the knife into the back of the crown. <laughs> well, your sports are becoming uh, much more popular. In Britain, I think, and uh, American football is enjoying uh, another swell in popularity in Britain, and as is baseball. And of course, there's now this sort of franchising going on where the the, the MLB or the NFL will put on games uh, in London. So there's a sort of there's a bit of uh, cultural cross exchange going on between the sports, is there not? Yeah, it's really fascinating, especially because I've noticed that youth football, at least in the United States, is becoming a little less popular, um, in large part because of the uh, new evidence that's come out regarding the uh, rise of CTE, um, the sort of brain damage that can come from playing um, such a hardcore contact sport. A lot of parents are opting out of putting their kids in youth football or high school football. And so I wonder what impact that's going to have 10, 20 years down the road for the NFL. And if maybe their attempt to branch out in other countries is a way of keeping the players and fan base um, rising as in America, we've had to reckon with the physical health uh, impacts of that sport. And finally, Amber, I know there's a, there's now going to be a cricket league in America. I wondered if you were aware of this and what you thought. I had not heard of this. I don't know much about cricket at all. 
um, besides the fact that it's brought up occasionally in our Slack channel at The Spectator. Um, but I, I have noticed that rugby is uh, becoming more popular in the U.S. as well. Um, there was a club, club rugby team when I was at Georgetown that was uh, really popular, and it seemed like um, the kind of thing that a lot of people would join uh, in college for something to do and ended up really falling in love with it. And now that's um, started to, uh, I think, expand into the professional leagues. And um, I know a lot of young adults around uh, my area who actually continue to play in adult rugby leagues. So it's 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 uh, pretty fascinating to see which sports are gaining ground here, which are in, in Britain. And um, as you said, the cultural crossover that's happening um, across sports leagues is, is really fascinating to see. Well, Amber, I would offer commiserations on uh, America's women's soccer team crashing out of the World Cup, but you don't care, so I won't. <laughs> Thanks, Freddie. <laughs> Thanks, Amber. Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Faroz, and the rest of the Spectator's broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.